not so much now. <laughs> so, um, welcome to the Friday Night Sangha, everybody. We're going to talk today about spiritual powers. And the Sanskrit word is uh, cities. And the Pali word is idia or iti. Um, and that in Hinduism, it re always did refer to as magical powers, not spiritual powers. Uh, you know, like flying through the air with the greatest of ease, only you do it without a trapeze. Uh, reading minds. Uh, there's words that we have in English like clairvoyance. And that uh, that actually uh, is not. We'll talk about what clairvoyance is because clairvoyance actually means clear seeing. As a voyeur, okay, clairvoyance is, is that we're seeing things clearly. Uh, but in this, the cities, um, these magical powers uh, are often a sidetrack that people want to develop the powers and so they practice things to bring on those spiritual powers, sometimes with great care, great caring, great lust, and then followed by great disappointment. That in fact, one of the things that is very interesting about uh, in the Sutta number 117, when it's talking about ordinary right view, is, is that ordinary right view ripens in clinging. That if we believe things like rebirth, reincarnation, um, flying through the air, uh, doing things like this that are magical, we'll always wind up disappointed with our um, whatever skills that we actually develop. And that most commonly what happens is, is that we, we fall into either stage magic or a form of charlatanism. Um, I spent a, quite a lot of time, a number of visits to India going around checking out because India advertised, especially in those days, that it was the most uh, spiritual country in the world. Basically, what I found out is they've got more charlatans in India than any place else in the world. Um, one of my favorite examples, in fact, I, I saw quite a lot of this in Hyderabad, and uh, I was in Hyderabad because Goenka had retreat center there, and I was already coming out of my magical belief systems. And there was this one guy that I saw who was sitting about two feet off the ground. The only uh, connection he had with the ground was a, um, uh, a piece of cloth that was kind of draping over. And so uh, due to the circumstances, there was a, um, uh, a restaurant not far away. And so I parked myself in this restaurant and had some chai and some food or whatever. 
just waiting for this guy to see what would happen. And then after sundown, I saw him get off of his perch and that it uh, and he picked it up and it was actually two pieces of flat metal that had a weld welded bar between them. And that uh, the way that it was welded looks like that he was sitting pretty precarious. If I sat way back on it, I'd bust the thing. And so you have to sit up pretty close to the front of it to make sure that the weight is under that pole engineering thinking and all of this. Uh, and he, he made his living by just sitting there all day. Uh, supposedly a foot or so, 18 inches off the ground where in fact he was fully supported by this little device. Now we can see on YouTube, there's a guy in London who dresses in a silver costume and uses exactly the same sort of thing to balance himself. And it appears like that he's being held up by nothing but a shovel or something like this. To where in fact, there's, um, uh, there's always mechanics involved with this. Another one that was quite famous was Sachi Sai Baba. Uh, he was in Bangalore and I took a train to Bangalore and on the train, I met a, uh, an, a woman, an Indian woman, who uh, we actually made really, really good contact. Uh, and so at the end of the train ride, she took me to her house to have supper. And while we were there, she pulled out a whole bunch of old newspapers in a stack and got this one that this had happened several years ago. And it was a complete expose with photo after photo after photo. It was a huge, huge article that had been put in the newspaper published locally in Bangalore that had a number of photos with cameras that were taking at odd angles, like down below and whatnot like that, to watch Sacha Sai Baba's hands and what he was doing. And it was clear that he was palming things. An example of what he did was, is that he would take ash, you know, they have holy ash, they have um, uh, some temples that are devoted to fire. Okay, we can also get these on in Thailand off of mosquito coils or jaw sticks or anything, but it's a very, very fine ash that you want. And then you wet this ash down, make it into a kind of a dough, and then roll it into little balls about the size of a grain of rice and let them harden. And then you take these little grains of rice as holy ash and place them between the fingers. And then you can use your fingers and wave them all around. And while you're doing that, you grab one of those holy ash things out with your thumb, crush it up, and then poof. And these and all of these little ladies are uh, all magicalized because you've got this holy ash that's uh, spreading around. Okay. He also had a trick that he would do with watches and diamonds. The thing of it was is, is that they had four or five different shots of him giving wristwatches to various people. It was always the same watch. And the people who were in were in on the trick. The guy actually owned a watch, and yet he was a good friend of Sacha Sai Baba's. I think that if I was a friend of Sacha Sai Baba, I would not loan him my Rolex for him to have magically appear and reappear. So this is actually um, um, 
kind of worldwide. There's another example of this in the West, and that is Houdini. I guess everybody's heard of Houdini. Okay, he was quite a magician back in the 1930s, and he was also amorized by real magic. And so he really wanted to know what real magic was. And so uh, during those days, uh, seances were still common. That there was a movement in the United States from the middle 1880s up until the 1930s that was so popular that even seances were done in the White House. Okay, uh, Lincoln, in fact, had a seance done in the White House because of his uh, dead son. So Houdini went around to these various seances to find out what tricks they were playing and he would expose them. And there were uh, two sisters who were very, very famous. And he could not figure out what was going on with them. He didn't know what it was. He did two seances with them. And then he figured out that all this one woman sits with her shoes on. But when she gets up and walks around the room, she goes barefoot. But when she comes back and sits down in her chair, she puts her shoes back on. That's very, very interesting, isn't it? Well, the point is, is that these shoes were wired with wires under the floor so that she could move it left or move it right or move one foot up or down like this and cause various things to happen in the seance while she was holding hands with the people so that it uh, gave the appearance that she wasn't doing anything. Okay, as you probably are familiar now with seances died out in the United States because they were exposed. A lot of newspapers came out with it. And so we don't see these things anymore. Uh, but we do see it in Las Vegas. Las Vegas is probably the only place in the world where you have a lot of uh, stage magic. You know why that's true? Think about it. People who gamble are looking for magic. And so these people are highly entertained by the, this magic. Most of us, when we see a magic trick, we want to know how it's done. We want to see what's real. We don't want to be impressed by the magic. We want to be impressed by how good they are at concealing the reality of the situation. Okay. So this is what the, has been the history of the magical cities, the magical powers for many, many centuries. But in the Pali, there is something else. That's the idea, the idiopada, that in fact is the actual spiritual powers. And when you develop these spiritual powers, actually the spiritual powers are part and parcel of the practice. Then in fact, one of uh, the itties the are the powers uh, are actually mentioned in the Anapanasati Sutta. And you can look these up and you can find out that basically these, the powers are the same thing as the faculties. And so the faculty of confidence 
is probably the most important spiritual power that one can develop. That I've got this. You become a winner. You, you, and that becomes powerful. It takes care of any situation if we can remember to do it. If we can remember to get our mojo up, we can handle anything. That in fact, if you go before a judge, if you cooperate with that judge and are friendly with that judge and say, this is no big deal, judge, we can handle this judge, everything is going to be smooth, then the judge will deal with that. But if you go belligerent and unhappy to the judge, it's going to be worse for you. So in that regard, you can recognize that, well, everybody's a judge of everybody else. That's what our culture is based on, is, um, um, let us say, first impressions. Um, you can't read a book by its cover. You have to actually open the book to see what it is. But when we judge things, we almost always judge things by by its cover. And the number one way we do that is by looking at how people are dressed. How they're taking care of themselves. That's an instant thing right there. Uh, and so, um, in, in fact, um, I just had this part of the conversation with Alex not long ago about how we um, present ourselves that first initial impression uh, can often be lasting and everybody does it. The question is, do you know that you're doing it? Not that you stop doing it because you actually need to be able to judge things very quickly. But then you want to check it out later to make sure that what you have, that first initial reaction is correct. After you do judge a book by its cover, then you open the book <laughs> and you verify what's there. But we often don't get a chance to do that. Uh, that in fact, the, the, the context that we're putting that in is, is that uh, the, the, the Asian watch in the West still look at people the way that they would look at people in Asia. And that for some reason, beards are a kind of a no-no. That Asian faces don't have much hair. And that, um, uh, when somebody doesn't then take care of, of that, it's considered being unkempt. It's, it's almost a, a cultural or social thing. And so uh, if guys are wanting to uh, go to the Asian watch and and um, get become friends with the uh, the abbot there, how you dress and present yourself will be determined of whether he's got the door wide open for you automatically or whether it slams shut and you got to beat the door down. Okay, so um, I, I am so impressed, Alex, because uh, you're not the only one that I've had that advice for. Uh, Robert also had dark hair, uh, big heavy beard, and that um, uh, Marcus, who is my friend who lives up in Chiang Mai, uh, talked to uh, Robert about that. And guess what? He went to the beauty shop in Thailand in Surat Thani, got to shave, 
turned his hair, uh, uh, dyed the hair to a different color, uh, and he really looks good now. Uh, so our appearance has a lot to do, and if we know that, pardon? What, what really sold me on it was uh, my visit to this last lot when uh, I showed back up there for the third time and there was a group of six or seven gentlemen there with their cell phones out ready to get down because they thought I was coming to rob them. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> I think I'll just go ahead and cut this off and show up in a little more friendly type of face next time. <laughs> so I'm going back on Sunday for their New Year's celebration. I made sure to tell them, you know, show them my driver's license. Say, look, man, you can take my photo, send it to anybody you want to. I'm <laughs> in friendship, man. Go and uh, also wear all white if you can. Yeah, wear all white. That that really helps. So, um, but back to the issue about the idiot. All right. The number one item on that list is confidence that you know that you've got it is uh, real power. It's often power that is uh, firmly intimidating to some people. That in fact, that self-confidence can be seen as um, bad behavior. Because normally when people are very, very strong in order to gain strength, they have to be angry. That's when we feel our most powerful. And we get angry when we're covering up our fear, the fear of loss. We see this situation as danger. And so we put a false bravado on uh, being angry to where we don't have to be angry if we're not afraid. And we're not afraid because we are powerful. And we are powerful because we have the confidence that we can handle anything. Now, in order to gain that mojo is back to the original um, Eightfold Noble Path because this confidence is actually part of the Eightfold Noble Path. And so other powers would be like um, remembering to investigate, to remember to look. This is what we mean by then the word clairvoyance is just you got to look at what's going on. Look at the surroundings, look at the people, look at whether they're smiling and nodding their head or whether they got a frown on their face or any of this kind of stuff that you actually start observing people. Now, normally when people are together, they're not really observing one another. They're thinking about what they're going to say next. We don't listen to people. We don't look at people. We don't observe what they're doing. Instead, what we do is we're still back in our own mind. That's the ordinary way that people are doing it. And that because of that, most people miss most of what's going on. Because they're not looking. So that's another power, the power to remember to keep your eyes open and look at what's going on. But that's, that's an three amazing at, power. Hmm? That's three at the same time, right? Uh, right view, right effort, and, and right attention. 
Right, and now we have changed those things from skills to be developed into powers, spiritual powers, because we do have those skills developed. And that uh, when we understand it like this, we can say, oh, wait a minute, Buddhism really is all of that easy. That we look at it really, really complicated. Okay, if you think that uh, Eddie is actually uh, magical powers, then it really will be complicated. It'll be so complicated, you won't be able to get much out of it. But if you understand that there is a real power that you have, the power of the way you present yourself, the power of the way that you look at what's going on, the power of being able to manage and control your feelings, that's an amazing power. Do not succumb. Okay. Um, and, and so uh, these powers are, are real when they're developed. And you can see that. When you walk in to see these old abbots at these temples, you can see that they've got a mastery. They've got a power. They can handle things. Okay. This is the way that we're going to then practice with that attitude of we can handle anything. Now, one of the things that I have seen that really fits in with this is how we give our way a power. We lose our mojo. That any time that we come across something that we don't like, we actually become a victim of it. And this happens on a regular basis to everybody. And this is what our real practice is all about, is to be able to tell when these times come up. An example of it is actually possibly the most common one is what we would call the false speech of malicious gossip. Um, Eric Byrne had two different games, psychological games uh, that, that he mentioned. Uh, one of them was, let's pull a fast one on joy. That means that you and I are going to collaborate to put joy in a disadvantageous position. We're going to set him up. Uh, Another one, which is a, uh, a very similar one, is let's you and him fight. In other words, I've got a beef with this guy, but I want you to get angry at him too and have the same beef so that you will deal with him the way that I don't have to. All right. So that means that someone winds up kind of being the fall guy. Go ahead. Um, so in Let's You and Me Pull a Fast One on Joey, one of the things Eric Byrne talks about near the end of his uh, description of that game in particular is he talks about how those people that are pulling the fast one, if they see that the one who's getting it pulled on them is smiling, they're worried. Mm -hmm. Why would that be? <laughs> yeah, that's because their uh, game didn't work. Uh, uh, I love that. <laughs> yes, exactly. 
that's but you see the guy who is smiling, even though they're pulling a fast one on him, he's smiling because he's got that power. He does not become a victim of the game that's being played. Um, another example of that is is a bully that in fact, um, some people who do have spiritual power are sometimes called a bully. But the, the real bully, it doesn't really have power. He wants to have power. It's a false bravado. That's why we call it pride. And pride goeth before fall. Pride is not the same thing as power. That in often the people who have real power don't exercise it. You were so strong. Um, I think, in fact, there's some old, old uh, uh, ancient writings that talk about this in the sense that um, the guy who has real power doesn't exercise it. Didn't have to. It's the guys who have to exercise their power just to prove to themselves that they do have power. Yes, Scott. Uh, that uh, that reminds me of uh, the analogy of the lion. So the the main lion with the mane really doesn't do anything most of the day. It just sits there and it mm -hmm. has the uh, lionesses go and hunt all the food for him. And he just sits there uh, just, different and nonchalant because he's the bit he has all the power and he rarely uses it. He just sits there and goes and collects his uh, rewards. Um, Actually, that's that's really correct. And to be honest with you, that's kind of how things work at this house. That I don't have to do anything because I've got all the power. And so I don't have to do much. People who want power have a lot of work to do. Those who don't have power have a lot of work to do. Those who do have that spiritual power, that mojo, recognizes that, oh, I don't have to fix that. I'm powerful enough to just leave it the way it is. And yet each one of us will be will be tested about that in the sense of um, the uh, the life of Brian, the movie Life of Brian comes up where at the end of the movie they're singing always look on the bright side of life. And here you have a whole group of people who are uh, being strung up by the Romans with uh, uh, all on crosses singing a happy song together. Always look on the bright side of life. Here's a question for you. Can you do that? Can you get hung out to dry? Can you be the victim of let's pull a fast one on joy and come out smiling? Well, that takes the, the fact that you've got to remember that you can do that. You got to remember that you can do that because we practice it often because we're already in the habit of being a victim to any and everything. I was going to say, you got to practice smiling. Yes, practice smiling. 
practice smiling at any and everything there that there is to smile at. That in fact, here's something that's kind of unusual about that from uh, a cultural perspective. If if an old man goes around smiling at all the young girls in the United States, he's going to have some trouble. For one thing, they're not going to smile back. They're going to whisper and gossip about him. But uh, an old man like myself can go around and smile at all the beautiful girls, young girls here in Thailand. Guess what? They smile back. <laughs> because uh, the Thai girls can see things a little bit more clearly. They can see that it's not dangerous. But in the West, a smile can often be misinterpreted as, um, you know, trying to set a game up or something. And so it depends kind of the way that you do smile. But if you can remember to smile, then you can remember to bring up your power too. That in fact, the smile is powerful a smile can change any situation an example of that is anytime that you see a cop smile wow is there any time you need a smile it's when you're in front of some authority or something (coughs) and that will give you the power to be able to handle anything But we have to remember to do this. That in fact, if you hear something derogatory about someone, the natural inclination is to please the person who told you the derogatory information. He wants you to agree with him, and so you do agree with him, which then turns you against someone else. We can see this happening within the Sangha sometimes. And the whole idea of Sangha is is that we do not play these games. We do not disparage another member of the Sangha. This is actually a a kind of an important rule within uh, the Buddhist uh, disposition is called the Paddy Mork. And every uh, so often, some some places do it every two weeks. I think a training monastery would do it every two weeks, and then a, a bigger, larger, more formal monastery would do the paddy mock once a month. However, it takes a quorum. I think that the quorum is either three or four. That if you live alone or you live with only one or two other monks, then the paddy mock is suspended. There's no reason to do the paddy mock in such a small group. But in there, there is actually, if you don't mind, I'll give you that there are various groups within the paddy mock. The biggest one is a parajika. And the parajika has four items on the list. And the number one would be stealing that if a monk stole property he would be automatically out of the sangha especially if the police come for him if the police come for a monk in thailand no one's going to stop the police from doing anything they're not going to stand up for him if he's got to deal with the police he's going to have to go do that on his own especially if he has stole something or if he's actually hurt somebody. Uh, 
So harming people, breaking bones, um, getting into fights, um, or stealing, especially something valuable, this is an automatic throwing out of the um, uh, of the Sangha. Um, another one uh, would be sexual misconduct. And the fourth one would be claiming spiritual powers that you don't have. Now, these spiritual powers in the sense that people will think of spiritual powers, not the idiot that we're talking about. But uh, if a monk advertises, oh, I'm an Arahant. Or if someone advertises, oh, I've got the jhanas or whatever like that, that this is actually kept within the sangha for protection. The protection would be that if a monk was acting badly with uh, within the sangha and no lay people found out about it, it's not correct for any of the monks who know about it to go spread that out to the lay people especially to get it back to the to the young monk's parents because in thailand they have this thing of face and and the parents will go get their son out of the monastery and take him home rather than having him have a reputation in the community so that's one side of it that if a monk does wrongdoing it's kept within the sangha unless it's a parajika because that actually does things so an example of that would be uh, if uh, a Catholic priest molested an altar boy, well, the altar boy is not part of the priesthood. So it's automatically got lay people involved. And if he goes and, and complains about that priest, then rightly the priest should be taken, or let us say, I don't have a correct word for it, disrobed, defrocked, whatever like that, uh, and let him go deal with it directly. Because this would be something that is uh, something that's too big to handle within the Sangha. And so we let the authorities deal with things like that. This is what we'd call a Pirajika, and that the monk is then kicked out, disrobed. Who knows what's going to happen in later years, but in this position, he's out. So stealing stuff is a different situation then the next level down, which is called a Sangha de Sessa. Now, a Sangha de Sessa does not require disrobing, but it does require a group of monks to act as, um, let's say, uh, rehabilitation council. Uh, and that one of the things that we don't do, that's a parage, uh, uh, sorry, the Sangha de Sessa, and by the way, the Sangha de Sessa, the word means to break the Sangha. When the Sangha is broken, okay, when people quit in rage of the Sangha because someone in the Sangha has done something wrong, uh, whether it's real wrong or whether it's in their minds, if they make a stink about it, then this would be a Sangha de Sessa that we do not go around trash-mouthing people within the Sangha, whether it's correct or not. This is kind of interesting. Um, in Islam, they have a, a libel and slander laws that are different than in the West. 
the in defense of uh, a slander suit or a libel suit in the United States is is that if what I said was true about the guy, then that's my defense. I can get away with accusing someone because I can prove that what I said was correct. That's not true in Islam. It doesn't matter whether what you're saying about the guy is correct or not. You're not supposed to accuse them publicly about it. And so Buddhism is very similar to uh, uh, Islam in that respect, that we don't go around accusing people. That we uh, leave things, uh, let us say, to be handled differently. Now, uh, there is a situation, I've seen it happen several times within the time that I was a monk, and one of them happened really early, and it happened to me. But in fact, yeah, I did. Here's the situation, is, is that Santicaro came to Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa after he was um, working for uh, uh, the Peace Corps. He had learned Thai, and he was doing magnificent stuff there. And he, and when uh, the refugees were taken to the United States, the, uh, the refugee camps were closed. And uh, Santikara had already heard about Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa there. And so he goes to watch Suan Mok, and he winds up there shortly after I do. Where my history was is that I had been spending all of these years in India, all those years with Gawanka and all these years of meditation. And so I opened my big fat trap to say that Satikaro is not a meditator. That afternoon, about 15 monks show up at my kuti to teach me a lesson. You do not go around disparaging other monks, whether it's true or not. You don't do that. That was such an important lesson for me that I think I've learned it pretty big time. <laughs> that you do not trash mouth other people, especially those who were within your sangha, within your friendship community. That you don't trash mouth people. So, uh, uh, the way that it's stated in the uh, uh, sutta number 117 is malicious gossip. Now, any gossip has to be evaluated. There is some gossip that's not malicious. It depends upon whether the issue is, is do you want to rehabilitate the person or merely put him down because he's done it. In other words, we're punishing. Do you have a punishment model or do you have a rehabilitation model? So if somebody is uh, in a bad state and we talk about him in a bad state, the idea is, is how can we help him to get out of whatever bad state he's in as opposed to condemning him for the bad state? And that's especially true when the evidence is old, old, old evidence. Oh, he's a bad monk now because what happened in his childhood, he hurt, he hurt somebody, he did some bad thing years ago, so let's hold it against him now. 
that's the way that we, uh, that would certainly be a sangha decessa, a bringing up old stuff about a new man or a new situation and uh, causing him grief and punishment because of something that's really old. But we do that. We will make a decision that somebody did something wrong, therefore that guy's a bad guy and we can't rehabilitate him. The best we could do is punish him. But within the Sangha, within the Buddhist tradition, we actually are more interested in the rehabilitation than the actual original crime or whatever it was. This is powerful. This is really powerful. There's another side of that that I would also mention, and that is, is that if some monk attains, uh, that's not the right word for it, um, uh, if he becomes known for having spiritual power, that too is not spread around to the lay people because the lay people are always looking for, for power. That in fact, the biggest thing is, is to give food to a monk has merit, but giving food to a famous monk is very auspicious. But giving food to a famous monk on his birthday, now that's super duper auspicious. For that reason, for many years, Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa fasted on his birthday. He would fast on his birthday, and then that changed to the whole what fast on Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa's birthday. If you want to eat at the what on Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa's birthday at Watsuan Mo, you got to leave the what to do it. It's okay to leave the what to do it. But the kitchen at the Wat is closed, and none of the monks go on Vendabat. There's no food at the Wat on Bhikkhu Buddha Das's birthday. Just to keep that tradition of the greed of making that auspicious um, uh, uh, action. So, monks are not advertised either way, that we do not either revere monks in, uh, individually, nor do we disparage monks. And that's especially true within the Sangha, that everybody is, uh, let us say, on an even keel. I, I have trouble with the word equality because equality has to do with identity and uh, uh, sameness, to where every human being is absolutely unique. And so, we don't compare them. It's not a matter of equality. It's a matter of communion. That like a mathematical equation, you have an equal sign and a greater sign and a less sign and greater than an equal uh, in higher mathematics, you have an equivalency sign. But in the Dhamma, we have a heart sign. The friendship sign. That we're not equal, but our relationship is a mutual friendship relationship and that's the way that we want to handle everything and you want to continue to handle that things that way even if you've heard the worst dirt possible about the guy whatever it is that you have heard about him ever how bad he is whatever family life he had long ago or any of that kind of stuff should not 
uh, change our relationship right now. We go back to that uh, point about uh, uh, life of Brian. Always look on the bright side of life, especially when you're hearing a bunch of trash about someone. And the trash should stop. You don't repeat trash talk. Yes, right. This is the story when Buddha was on his walk being chased. Oh, crap, am I getting cars in it? Being chased by the man with the 999 fingers around his neck. Yeah, I'm really mad. Worried afterwards because he told him, you know, he said, hey, I saw this lady. She was having trouble with the pregnancy and da, da, da. And the Buddha told him, hey, have you taken noble birth? If you've taken noble birth, forget all that. Go about it. Do your thing. Mm -hmm. I wanted yes. to, to ask also regarding the same story. How how literally do you take the story? I mean, uh, and in relation to a question about rehabilitation, because like personally, I wouldn't feel comfortable uh, being with a killer, like someone who who killed that many people. Um, like those those feelings right, well, about you, no, you don't. You don't have the spiritual power to be able to handle him, and you know that because your fear oh, yeah, comes I, up about that. The question is then: Look at the Buddha. <coughs> <coughs> the Buddha had the mojo to go deal with the guy. Now, in the sutta, there's a little bit of magical stuff in the sense that uh, the Buddha was actually pursued by him. But I can imagine that the Buddha knew the territory. He knew because this guy came into the Buddha's territory. He knew every nook and cranny, every hiding place, etc., like that, and he could avoid the guy. And so, in frustration, Angulimala cried out, "Stop, monk! Stop!" Why would he say that? If he could actually pursue and kill the Buddha. So, Eric, for you, the question is, do you know how to stay out of somebody's way so that they can't catch you? Do you have that kind of power? So the Buddha was exhibiting power just by going into the neighborhood of this guy. He was exhibiting power by being able to avoid him. And when this guy says, stop, monk, What did the Buddha answer? He gave him the entire Dhamma right then. I have stopped. You stop too. Just stop. Okay. And so now you're saying I'm, I would be hesitant to go around a killer or a murderer. You probably have. There have been, there's been a lot of killing going on. You don't even know whether you've been around a killer or not. So it's not the fact that this guy is a killer and you don't want to be around him. It's that you know that he's a killer. And that's your knowledge is preventing you from wanting to be around him. That in fact, the idea that you've heard me say so many times, sometimes you feel like a nut and sometimes you don't. Well, killers, sometimes they feel like killing and sometimes they don't. So killers are not killers all the time. We're up and down and back and forth. We're a mixed bag. The question is, if when you become unified in your mind, are you going to be unified as a killer? 
are you going to be unified in the confidence that you can handle things without doing damage? I really like that sutra. It's a real education because you do have to sometimes deal with people that you consider dangerous. Do you have your mojo to deal with someone who is really dangerous? Here's an example. The 14-year-old kid, let us say in one occasion, he has no mojo. He's got no confidence. He's no got no spiritual power. And in the other case, he does. Okay, so this kid's walking down the hall and bully and two friends come around the corner. What's he going to do? Many of those 14-year-olds is going to freeze in fear, and here comes that bully to mess with him, right? However, if he's got his mojo and he sees that bully coming around the corner, coming straight towards him, what's he going to do? Well, one of the things he can do is he can just keep going where he was going, only speed up. So if the bully is coming right at him and he's coming this way, you just walk right past the bully. The bully's now got to turn around because he thought that you were going to stand there and, and let him dump on you. And you just walked right off. <coughs> Most bullies will just go get the next victim. But if he says, uh, stop, I want to talk to you, he says, oh, I'm in a hurry. I got some place to go. I'll see you later. And you just keep right on going. That would take power. OK, you just walk right away. That's, in fact, what kind of is saying that uh, the Buddha did with Angulimala. Angulimala was the bully coming after the Buddha and the Buddha didn't put up with him. He didn't stop to get killed. He took a hike. That's also an example of Samasamadhi, of good right attention. Pay attention to things that matter. Don't pay attention to the stuff that doesn't matter. If it does, if it's going to get you killed and you don't want to die, it probably doesn't matter. Right, right. In fact, there is a Latin phrase. I've heard now that it's kind of a, a false Latin, and it is illegitimi cun carborundum. Okay, and that word illegitimate is wrongly translated into English as bastards, because bastard children are illegitimate. They didn't get. Uh, under, they weren't born under uh, a piece of paper called a marriage license, okay? And so the whole phrase means, don't let the bastards grind you down. But let's not use the word bastard. Let's use the word illegitimate. Don't let illegitimate things grind you down. The bully coming around the corner to that 14-year-old, he just ignores him. He's not going to let that illegitimate force grind him down. That's the whole thing. Can you do that? Can you keep, let us say, can you stay on that cross singing? Always look on the bright side of life. When you hear disparaging words about someone. Can you just ignore that and keep your power? Or do you have to buy into the guilt trip, the anger trip, whatever like that? Because you are going to hear that a lot. You're going to hear negative things about people because people 
say negative things in order to build themselves up. They put back into that equation greater than and less than. But we can do that differently if we can remember. That's why sati is one of those spiritual powers, because you got to remember that you can really look and see what's going on. You got to remember that you're in charge of your own feelings. You got to remember that you're the boss here. You got this wired. You got no trouble. And so these are actually the spiritual powers that are quite useful. So develop those powers. How do we do that? Is by practicing. Practice, practice, practice. Sit down and just let yourself feel good. Just sit and let things be good enough. Check, is there any anxiety? Check, is there any tension? Then in fact, uh, the way that I'm, I'm looking at it now is, is that any time that I think about something that could be done, should be done, I can uh, just lay, uh, let us say in bed, breathing, knowing that the call is going to start in an hour and I've got nothing to do, but just lay in bed and just breathe over and over again. And then the thought will come, oh, I got to go fix the computer. And immediately that anxiety will come up. And when you say, wait a minute, I don't have to do that right now. I'm just going to come back and just relax and be here in the moment. That's the power, the power to not do. The power to just leave things alone. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Scott, you got your hand up. Oh, yeah, I just wanted to mention uh, when you're talking about the the spiritual power. Um, another thing is also um, you stop looking for other people's approval to be happy. So like normally when someone doesn't have that confidence or that spiritual power, they're in a state of constantly looking for external uh, justification or gratification to mm -hmm. to see if I'm okay. But uh, <laughs> you would be uh -huh. surprised. It's actually a superpower to not be affected. To not need anybody any to feel good. Right. Yeah. There's an old song that I think is really appropriate for that, and that is the song that starts off with looking for love in all the wrong places, looking for love. Well, that's exactly what we're constantly doing. We're looking for love in all the wrong places when we want approval from other people. That when we're really looking for love in the right place, it's right here. Oops, so sorry. He talks about most talking to be externalized soothing. Say again, I didn't catch that. Oh, in that Eric Byrne. That gentleman talks about most talking, most speech is an effort to externalize soothing. And I wonder that, if this ties into noble silence. That's exactly right. Almost all of our speech and all of our con uh, communication is actually looking for love in all the wrong places. That's what it is. 
But that's what happens in bar scenes. Look at if you, I haven't been to a bar in so many years. I don't I don't know what they're like anymore. Um, but I've got a I've got a, an excuse that that bars and places like that have often loud music, which means that I can't understand anything that anybody says to me, and so I'm not very social in in those kind of bar scenes. But I do know that all of the, stout, the, the, the talk that's done in such a social situation is actually people looking for love, looking for confirmation, just like we did when we were little kids. Just like when Kitty, she's drawing art. She's actually getting quite good at it. She's learned how to use pencils for shading and outlining and things like that. And the stuff that she's doing is quite nice. But it's quite nice on its own. She does not have to bring it to daddy to get his approval. But when she does bring stuff like that to me, wow, does she get approval for it? Or do I just lay it on? Because if that, babe, almost to the point of giving her 10 times the amount of approval that she actually needs, which means now she won't come back to me with the next 10 pictures. <laughs> <laughs> she got all the confirmation that she needed. I remember something that happened like that with me. It was in, a, in the second grade that it was on a math test and the teacher gave a, me a gold star and put the word outstanding on that piece of paper, that test. That one event turned me into a mathematician. I know that that approval that I got from that second grade teacher doing arithmetic was what set me on the path of eventually getting a, a, a degree in mathematics and then computer science and electrical engineering was based upon one test in the second grade. Boy, did I need that approval then. But now I don't need that approval. I've been there, done that. So this is a way that we can see that we go, we start in childhood looking for that approval. And if we get that approval in childhood, we don't go looking for it anymore. The reason why we're looking for love in all the wrong places is because we didn't get enough of it when we were kids. We did not get the approval that we needed when we were kids and little kids need that approval. Little kids are much more social than we understand. But once we get older, we can recognize that all of the approval and all the love and all the affection that we didn't get when we were being um, criticized as children, we can make up for that in Anapanasati by giving ourselves that approval over and over and over again. Approve of yourself. This is good. I can get this. I can do this. Yes, I can clean out my mind. Yes, I can become satisfied. Yes, we can feel safe and secure and comfortable. And live life abundantly. We can do this, but it takes practice because we spent years feeling inadequate. We spent years not getting the love we needed because we were looking for it in all the wrong places. 
And so this is the real spiritual power. The real spiritual power is to find out where you can get the love that you need. It's right here at home. (laughs) And you get that love you need. You get that approval that you need because you approve of yourself. That you do have that that fire. You do have that mojo. You can do it. And that's all the power that you need. You do not need to fly through the air to get approval from other people. Think about these magical powers. Magical powers, people who are looking for magical powers are still playing the game of looking for love in all the wrong places. They think that they're going to get love by being able to uh, pull fast ones. We think that we can gain um, uh, love from the community. I mean, look how many people that Satya Sai Baba had around him, millions of people, even without that expose. I mean, even though that that expose was published about him and it was all over town, people still went back to him and flocked to him, even though they kind of knew that he was a charlatan. And he needed that affection. He needed that. If he felt really good about himself, then he would stop uh, the, the charlatan behavior. I've actually seen one video where he almost choked to death because he had swallowed some ball. And he kept it in his throat so that he could pull the magic of uh, waving a, a handkerchief around. And all of a sudden the ball comes into the handkerchief and he almost choked when he was taking it out of his mouth. <laughs> and that video made it. I mean, that that one video would be enough for anyone that's got wisdom to recognize that, hey, I'm not going to get anything from this guy. He's choking on his own merchandise, <laughs> trying to pull a magic show. So we now know where we can get that which we need. We can generate it inside. But we have to practice doing that. I mean, look how many times, how many places, how many thousands of times you've actually gone looking for love in the wrong place and didn't get it. So now we're going to have to go looking for love in the right place over and over and over again to make up for all of those mistakes that we made. We've got to kind of balance the scale. Got to get a new set of habits. And when we get those new habits, now we've got power real power the power to manage your own life happily now that's power (laughs) not power over people because people who have power over other people really don't have any power at all because they don't have power over their own mind your real power comes from having power over your own mind to feel the way you want to feel and remember, every time that something negative happens, you can not go down that rat hole. Just because you've heard something about this guy, oh, he did this and that, oh, he's got bots, oh, he's got sock puppets, oh, he's got... doesn't matter. You don't have to buy into that and go down that negative rat hole. Because none of that matters. What matters is that friendship, that community that joy but you can only have that when you're not looking for love from that person if you're looking for love from that person and you find something negative about him that just destroys it i mean look how many cults fall apart 
because the people found out about the cult leader. When in fact, all cult leaders are ordinary human beings, all meditation teachers are ordinary people, all arahats are ordinary people. They just know how to handle their ordinariness with great skill. But we're looking for something special. We're looking for special love from all of these special people. People want a savior. Yes. Jesus is well advertised as being right. able to do that. <laughs> we do want a savior. Why? Because we're the victim. We're looking for love in a savior. That's another term of looking for love in all the wrong places. Looking for love from Jesus is going to keep you disappointed. The best friend you'll ever have is the one that you carry around with you all the time. He's always there. But we don't make friends with ourselves. We often make enemies with ourselves by criticizing ourselves, wanting things that we don't have. And so all we need to do is to turn that back around and say, wait a minute, I've got all the love I need because I know how to love. And I can love myself. And that's the power. Because we now we don't need that love from any place else. Easy enough, huh? So spiritual powers, they've got some property to it. Let's go get some of that power, some of that mojo. Let's get that lion's roar. The Buddha was known as a lion. And just like uh, Alex says, yeah, the lion doesn't have to do anything. The pride's going to take care of him. He doesn't have much to do because he's got that that power. Just like the Buddha, he, even though he's formed a Sangha and had as many as 20,000 monks at the time of his death and, and perhaps as many as 2,000 nobles. But he didn't do much of anything. He led Sariputta and Mahamagala and Mahakachapa and all of those other monks that were teachers. They did all of that, except that they didn't do much any either. They helped, They let the students um, uh, um, uh, among them to do their own work together. When we cooperate with each other, fully cooperate with each other, the spiritual life spreads within that community. That we, we stay friends with people, even with their warts, just like we can stay with our friendship with ourselves, warts and all. You're good enough, Scott. Warts and all, you're good enough. That's your power. Thank you. You too. <laughs> Alex, you're good enough. Warts and all. Eric, you're good enough. Warts and all. Love yourself for the warts that you've got. Those warts helped make you who you are. Stop hating yourself because of the warts and start loving yourself, warts and all. And then you can accept other people, warts and all. A lot of warts out there. A lot of love to find. <laughs> David, you too. You can love yourself warts and all. 
I do. I do very much. <laughs> yes, Scott. Oh, I was just scratching my head, but um, <laughs> it sounds kind of like meta. I mean, it um, is. This is meta. Yeah, but it's more like a uh, meta is also a kind of a power too, because uh, if, you're, if you're experiencing meta in the four directions, it means literally like you're experiencing like an expansive, um, you're experiencing like an expanded state of mind or like an expanded feeling of love, and for literally forward, backwards, up and down. So That's it's like six though. That one side two, to side, not okay, it's not okay. the 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 uh, the, <laughs> the magnetic compass has four poles, oh, okay. but the meta compass has six. Oh, six directions. Sorry about that. Yeah, all six directions: up, down, back, forth, and side to side. Okay. Right. And that in Hinduism they have that as actual uh, individuals. The people in front of us we do business with. The people behind us are trying to stab us in the back. Hmm. On the left are our friends, and on the right is our family. Below us are our employees, like store clerks. You go into a store, and they're in a subordinate. The, the store clerk is in a subordinate position to the customer, but the owner of the store is the boss. Okay, so those above us. And who is above us? Those people who think that they're above us. Those are the people. If we don't choose that, they do. So we put, because they want it, cops. Now, some of us want to put cops below us. But cops want to be above us, so we let them be above us. Okay? It's like uh, in the sutta when it says, um, all of this world with its gods and maras, its princes and its peoples, <laughs> etc mm -hmm. uh, i abide like uh detached shorn shorn of worry so you're kind of just <laughs> like sitting in a uh uh like a transcendent indifference to it all like a loving indifference mm -hmm. and um it also another thing is like meta is kind of boundary dissolving so if you're trying to um get into formless jhanas like i think meta is a good kind of vehicle for that because because the experience of love doesn't really have like the experience the direct experience of love itself doesn't really have boundaries um uh in the same sense that like uh the experience of like P pt in the body has a boundary or sukha in the body has a boundary what do you right. think about it? Oh, I like that, Scott. That's a really cool thing of you to share. Thank you. That's really cool. Uh, thanks. What do you think about that, Damrata? Well, I was going to say that meta ha is problematic, not as a concept, but as the way that it's taught in Western meditation practices, with the idea of huh. may all beings be happy. Right, right. Right? That means then that, uh, first off, all beings is a concept. It's right. conceptual. You can't meet all beings, but uh -huh. your actual world is the all beings that are in your world are those that you can talk to, that you can smile at, that you can be around. That's your world. 
There is no reason to send Donald Trump meta. No reason at all. <laughs> but if Donald was sitting here on the porch with me, that would be the time to just, you know, to be friends with him. So that's the first thing is all beings. Now, the next point of it is, is, is that uh, may all beings, including me, be happy. That, in fact, uh, Robert was saying that when he uh, was with Dhamma Vitu uh, doing the metta, that Dhamma Vitu spent all of his time talking about people being happy and loving to themselves, that this is where it comes from. Metta, in other words, you can't say may all beings be happy and have any juice to it at all because you're not happy and all those beings are not happy either and you're just kind of wishing for it to happen. A much better way of, of, of practicing metta is, would be something like, gosh, I wish you guys felt as good as I do right now. And guess what? All of a sudden you do. <laughs> That's metta. The real metta is when it works. And the smile is a really good indication. Okay, so going around smiling at people gives them metta. That's real metta in practice. Can you remember to look at what they're doing, to see what's going on, and to respond to them with a smile? That's power. That's idiot. That's where it's all about, is, uh, and it really has to do with metta. But metta in the formalized sense is not what we're really practicing. What we're really practicing is friendship, deep, abiding joy of communion with yourself and then communion with others, hoping and going in the direction of they can be at communion and at union with themselves within also. That's it. That's power. Go ahead. Yeah. And also, that's get that. That's easy for the mind to collect around because, like, the feeling of love feels very good. So you're not uh, wanting something else, or it kind of like gets rid of all the hindrances. Mm -hmm. So it's another way to just get into uh, jhana. Period is just uh, because it's completely wholesome. Like to like that's why they say like if you give a gift to someone just giving it for the sake of giving it with no like expectation of anything in return because it feels good to give the gift so yes. it's like it's like a similar it's the same thing with meta like you don't you don't love all beings to to help yourself or like for you do it because it the act is actually rewarding in and of itself of right. of rate you're like radiating it in all directions Right, but you're radiating it in all directions to those people in those six directions that are close to you. Uh -huh. That the radiation does not radiate to Mars. It does uh -huh. not radiate around town even. It only radiates as far as you can see. Mm -hmm. And that's where we're looking. The clairvoyance is not seeing things that are way off someplace else. It's seeing what's right there in front of you. Even if it's 50 meters, you can still see 50 meters. You can see it coming. You can smile at somebody 50 meters off, but not 50 miles. So I got a rule. Pardon? 
I got to roll out. I got to take off and get on the road. I didn't want to yeah. interrupt too much, but I want to make sure to say thank you to everyone and that I'll make sure to talk to you all again very soon. I think that this is a good time to stop, actually. I think that we've had about as much joy and meta as we can stand right now. <laughs> <laughs> I can dig it. Hey, guys, look at this. <laughs> okay, guys. Well, let's wrap this up. Eric, do you have any final things to say? Have a good weekend. Yes. Have a good moment. We'll see you guys later. Thank you, Scott, for being here. I'm really glad to see you. Good to see you, too. Happy to be here. Eric, I'm really happy to see you, and David, too. Thank you guys for showing up. You've right. made my day. You <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thank you, friends. Bye-bye. See you, see you, my friends. See you later. <laughs>